This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we recap the return of three-time indoor shot put national champion David Pless to campus for the Bates Invitational. Plus, men's basketball won a thriller at Tufts, and the ski teams turned in some big performances. All that and more coming up on the Bates Bobcast. This weekend, 2013 Bates grad and three-time indoor national champion in the shot put, David Pless returned to campus to compete in the Bates Invitational. We caught up with the Bobcat great the night before in Merrill Gymnasium. On the eve of the Bates Invitational, sitting down with three-time national champion in the shot put, David Pless, returning to compete almost five years since you've graduated from Bates. What inspired you to come back for the Bates Invitational this year? Well, uh, competing amongst Bates athletes and at Bates is something I've always been passionate about. I was able to return earlier this year, or excuse me, in 2017, and compete uh, with the team at MIT because I had a layover in between a, an international competition in Guadeloupe and my sister's graduation from Trinity College last year. But Bates has always carried uh, a special place for me. And um, as I am now kind of um, reaching spots in my career where I'm prepared to excel, I wanted to come to Bates um, to feel the energy, to be among the team, tell a little bit more about the story of when I was here and the, uh, the legacy that Bates Throws has. And hopefully this will also produce a big mark for me tomorrow. Is this your first time back on campus at all since you've graduated? I was here in 2015. Uh, I showed up right before Indoor Nationals was going to be in Boston. So I came and stayed at Bates for a couple days and was able to train since I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, it was like a training camp for a couple days. But, yeah, I, I've been here. Uh, the only other time was August of 2013. Excuse me, September 2013. I came back right after I graduated. So, yeah, it's been a long time. What was it like stepping in here and seeing Coach Fresh and everything? It's pretty magical. This place is special. Um, the facility is unlike any other in the Northeast, as I'm sure you're aware. It, this mat was custom made, and, and no one else has it with the kind of the distances laid out. And I see that Fresh has put everything out to 70 feet, which is pretty exciting. Um, it's like stepping back in time for me. Everything looks the same, and you know, it all it's, it, it all seems the same. But um, I'm just very. It was an exciting feeling to step back into Merrill. And I saw that there's a facility record you might be chasing perhaps tomorrow, right? <laughs> <laughs> I really hope to achieve that. It was something I had my sights on my senior year in college, and I, I came up a little bit short. I think it's 60 feet, 11 inches. Um, and uh, last weekend at University of Washington, I threw 64-1. And um, so I hope to eclipse that tomorrow and hopefully eclipse a personal best as well. I'm in really good shape right now, so I'm, I'm very excited to compete. Was that your personal best at UW, or what is your personal best? No, my personal best was from the Olympic trials in 2016. Uh, it's 66 feet 10 inches. And then um, I've thrown around that distance quite a few times since then. Um, I threw 66 8 at last year's indoor nationals and placed second. Um, so I'm hoping to usurp that and hopefully throw even further. 
I'll specify that's the shot put, obviously. What made the shot put your favorite event? <laughs> Fresh had a big impact on that. Uh-huh. In college, I threw the shot, I threw the weight, the hammer, and the discus. And upon graduating, I was the school record holder in all five of those events. But Fresh told me at that point that the discus I didn't necessarily have the same feeling for and that I could go forward either in the hammer or the shot. And the shot was something I had excelled at and been a three-time national champion. Um, so it was what I decided to pursue. And it's, uh, I, love, I love the shot. It's also the easiest one to train for. Um, the hammer requires a lot of space or it requires a very specific facility. The shot you can pretty much take anywhere. I've trained in um, a lot of complicated circumstances. So... Uh, you have to be, you have to be willing to, you have to be patient, and willing to do a lot to get that training in, and sometimes it means that you're throwing off the asphalt into a hill. So when you were a sophomore here and you won the national championship indoor for the shot put, what was that experience like the first time to do it? It was crazy. I had no expectation for doing something like that at the time. I was like seated six going into the meet, and uh, I had already PR'd six feet that year. So there wasn't a huge expectation to do much more. And I think that that was what allowed me to have a lot of success that day. Um, But the feeling of winning my first national championship was was incredible and certainly fueled the next two years of national championships and made it uh, um, being able to go back to back to back was really cool. Yeah, I bet. Let's go back a little bit further in time. Uh, When you were looking at colleges, I understand you're from Atlanta, right? Yeah, Atlanta, Georgia. Went to school in North Carolina for high school? Mm -hmm. I went to Asheville School, a boarding school, for two years in in North Carolina. Okay, so you're there. You're looking at colleges. What made Bates the place for you? Al Farashidian, literally. Uh, I toured the campus in the summer of 2008, and Coach Fresh gave me the, like, gave me a tour of the entire campus on you know one of his off summer days and I remember him telling me you know David um, I know that you're a pretty good student I know that you've excelled in sports and things like that but you're gonna have to get yourself into Bates on your own and what you want out of this college experience is not going to be in conjunction with track and field uh, or it's going to be in conjunction with track and field um, so you want to consider this as a bigger step to your whole journey. And, and uh, he took me on that tour that day, and I was pretty much instantly sold. I applied ED1, and it was the only place I applied to. Wow. Yeah. Obviously, no regrets whatsoever. Um, this place is very special Fantastic. for you, Fantastic. Right? Yeah. yeah, it was an amazing experience. My four years at Bates, they really fly by. <laughs> it really did fly by. I mean. so you mentioned you're living in Portland, Oregon now. What brought you out to the West Coast? Um, upon graduating from college, I was able to get an internship at a company in the Bay Area, um, Salesforce.com, and my girlfriend is originally from San Francisco, so I wanted to move out there to be with her uh, and work at this job. From there, after about 14 months of of living in San Francisco and working in technology, um, we kind of had a reckoning where it was like, is throwing going to be this thing? And um, at that point, I was working 65 hours a week, and I was trying to train on top of that. I was trying to throw after work, and I really wanted to give it one concerted effort. And so we found a training site in Portland, Oregon, and moved up there after sending um, my coach, my now coach, a, a cold email. <laughs> so. Right, because at this point you have to, like, find a coach who wants to train you. Is that how it works? Or? Yeah, you you know, for him it was one, were there opportunities for me to improve or to kind of max out my ability? Um could I find a situation to make training work for people who aren't familiar with track and field? It's not 
a lucrative sport, you know, unless you're in the very, very top echelon. So it's, it's self-funded. So I had to find a job that worked in conjunction with not just my, um, my aspirations, but my training hours and things like that. So it, it was a big process in order to achieve that. But, um, I'm really happy with, uh, you know, how my Bates education has helped me seek out these opportunities and how to make the most of this experience because it's not something that, you know, everybody gets to do during their 20s. When you were initially in San Francisco for those 14 months, were you throwing it all or were you... I took about six months completely off. Uh Um, And then I picked it back up in January of that year and it was through a number of referrals from a coach on the East Coast that... uh, that I had met named Carl Wallen, and I eventually met a guy named Mike Lewis who was a mile and a half from my, the place that I worked, and it just worked out perfectly that I was able to go and train there after work with his, uh, with his athletes. Had I not done that, I could have lost throwing altogether because I ended up actually PRing that year despite, you know, huge workloads and things like that. So, You mentioned the U.S. Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? That was incredible. Um, I went into the Olympic trials with very low expectations, and 2016 was one of the most difficult years of my athletic life, where the first few meets of the season did not reflect at all the improvements that I had made in training, and I struggled for about five months to try to find that, and it all started to ignite in June of 2016 leading up to the Olympic trials, Um, and to go from being virtually unknown to making the finals at the trials and having the seventh longest throw of the day outside of, you know, what was basically the strongest showing that there's ever been. And just to, you know, I didn't make the Olympic team, but I, I felt like I was a part of the whole experience in front of, you know, those 20,000 people that, that afternoon in July. Um, it, was a, it was an incredibly rewarding experience and something that I'll never forget, you know. Having a PR at the Olympic trials is, yeah. is the height of life, I think. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Is the Olympics something you still have in your vision for the future? Or, I mean, I don't know how, the shelf life of throwers, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you, throwers reach their physical peak in their late 20s, so I'm okay. starting to get right to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, the 2020 Olympics are something I have my sights on. It's just incremental progress needs to be made in the interim. So, um, for reference, the A standard last year for making a team was 20 meters 50. Um, and I think I'm in shape to throw that. You have to be top three at USA's, and so uh, in 2020, that'll probably require an excess of 21 meters 50, which is like over 70 feet. But to attain the standard would be a great first step. And then moving from there, hopefully throwing 21 meters and and taking that momentum into 2020. So you got to clear that fence over there, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, right right on that right on that line, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And for reference, at Bates, my furthest throw would have been the 60-foot line. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it can seem daunting, but when you line it all up together and the training comes through, uh, big things can happen. It, it, it's just about having the right attitude on that day. We've talked a lot about the legacy of throwers here at Bates. Uh, talk, you know, Nick Margetsa when he was a senior, talked yeah. to him. Uh, I know you're, you know him. And then D-Ray obviously carrying on the legacy right now. <laughs> uh, what does it mean to you? I mean, did you, you knew about the legacy coming in, right, I assume? Yeah, uh, it was one of the first things that was introduced to me, the Bates throwing legacy. And it does play into an agenda I have here this weekend, that's to reignite that you know and make sure that that's something that is going to continue on into future generations because added era is coming up on graduating and um so this weekend i have uh well not i have but all-american chris murtag is here he was once the school record holder 
Sean Enos, who took two of my school records, is also here to watch. Um, Rich McNeil will be here tomorrow. He was a three-time All-American, now works for Bates. Uh, and there are a lot of other people that are coming that supported me or supported the this track and field program. And um, I think that's what makes it up is that, you know, guys that haven't been here in seven years are still interested in the legacy of track and field. So for me, I mean, I've been able to sleep all week thinking about this meet. I'm yeah. very excited. <laughs> And I understand you know, you guys are always texting the current throwers, uh, giving them encouragement, if you will, or maybe challenging them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be involved in what they're doing. Um, it's a, a special bond that you make with the things that you go through with the throwers at Bates and the excellence they all inspired. I mean, the, the only reason that I ever did as well as I did um, would have been Chris Mertag and Ethan Waldman pushing me as a freshman and sophomore in college they were both all americans um you know making me go to the weight room doing all of those things and that those little efforts success bred success over time and uh i think that's truly why you know i was able to throw far all the throwers talk about coach fresh and what he means to them what did he mean to you specifically how did he make you better fresh uh he's someone who believed in me at all all times even when i didn't believe in myself um, from, you know, not knowing if I could get into Bates to all the way through, you know, graduating um, with a much more successful GPA than I started with. Uh, I, was an, I was an academic All-American my senior year, which was one of my favorite achievements. But, you know, in, in between that, through all the All-American awards and national championships, uh, the constant was fresh there, you know, two days or two times a day for practices because we were doing two days at that point he has really invested his entire self into this program and we all love him for it merrill jim looks sim similar when you left it looks exactly the same even <laughs> even the pictures out in the hallway are the same. same those two banners were there um the only thing that's different from when i graduated i guess is my the uh, additional all-american and double plaques that are, exist on the wall sure so that's that's a good change. Yeah, you want to keep adding to those plaques, right? The yeah. Program. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice. <laughs> it's nice to see it stay the same. Well, David, hopefully you have a great meet tomorrow, and thanks so much for joining us here on the Bobcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be back. Plus, set the facility record in the shop put on Saturday with a throw that traveled 19.14 meters. The current Bobcats scored 279 points to dominate the Division Three portion of the competition. Colby came in second with 98 points, followed by Husson, Keene State, and St. Joseph's. Senior captain Adedire Fakariti led the way, winning the weight throw and the shot put. The women's track and field team also won the Bates Invitational, with senior captain Sally Cisse winning the long jump and the triple jump to lead the Bobcats. On Tuesday... We caught up with men's head coach Al Farashidian to look back at a special weekend for the Bates track and field community. What was it like to have David back on campus and competing also? Uh, it was tremendous. Uh, I, I remember the last time he competed on campus uh, uh, in 2013, we were hosting the New England Division Three Championships, and that had been a meet that we had been pointing to all, all year long, and, and uh, I know he came in and uh, he was fired up, competed really well. He broke the facility record that day in the 35-pound weight throw. We were fully expecting him to break the facility record in the shot. Had a couple of great shot put throws, but unfortunately fouled uh, one or two that would have broken the record. Still 
did very well. He broke the New England record, won the meet, did all of those types of things. But it kind of left that little bit of unfinished business for David to come back and, and claim that, that facility record in the shot put. So it was kind of fun to watch him do that. And he did claim the record. I know the previous record was from like the 80s, right? Yeah, Artie McDermott from BU, one of the all-time great throwers in New England throwing history. Anybody that's been around at all will know that, that that's kind of the legend of the sport in, in, in New England. And not only was David back, he had a bunch of other throwers who, who compete here uh, who were back as well to support him. How cool was that to see? It was a tremendous environment. The atmosphere here was was fantastic. We had, you know, all of uh, all the guys that, that competed with David and threw with David tried to get back if they could, and and uh, it was just a tremendous turnout. Just fun to see everybody and and to watch David walk into the facility Friday night uh, after he'd gotten in from his his uh, flight and and to see the emotion in him just being back in that facility again was just awesome. And and the energy that it brought. He got a chance to speak to the team on Saturday morning and and really uh, uh, generated an atmosphere that was. Tremendous. I asked him when we talked before the meet, um, why did he come to Bates back in the day? And he said, Al Farashidian. That was the reason. And obviously, you've recruited a lot of great throwers here. What makes throwing such a passion for you? Well, I, it's there's just been such a tremendous history and tradition uh-huh. in the throws here at Bates forever. I mean, going back back to Ashton Keaton back in the 1930s and and coming right on up through. And, and of course, of course, uh, uh, you know, Coach Slavinsky prior to me had developed a very strong throwing program and, and then he brought in Joe Woodhead who was a, a phenomenal coach uh, and, and led so many of our guys to All-American and, and you know national championship honors and we named the throwing circle after Coach Woodhead and there's just been a tremendous history of throws here and, and, and for me coming into Bates as the head coach, uh, my, one of my stronger backgrounds or areas was in the throws uh, but at the same time when I had a coach like Joe Woodhead uh, who was doing such a tremendous job it just made sense to kind of you know kind of utilize his skills and then allow me to, to work in some other areas but sooner or later I always figured I would get back to the throws it's been a passion for me all my career well I'm curious when you were in college did you do throws no I was no. a distance runner and that's my passion for cross country the thing sure. about uh, what I do is I love everything that I do and, and when I'm in cross country I love that when uh-huh. I'm when I'm working with uh, throwers I love that when I'm working with vaulters I love that uh, in the past I've coached you know sprinters, hurdlers, jumpers, uh, and, and I just get fascinated. I mean, as an athlete myself and, and, a, and a young coach, I really kind of developed a passion for the technical events and, and invested a lot of time in study and, and, um, and practice, really, essentially, kind of developing those that knowledge and skill base. Yeah, because going off that, I mean, I can't imagine two things more different, perhaps, or more requiring different skill sets than distance running and throwing. Uh, how did you learn to become a coach of an event you didn't really ever participate in? Um, I think one study, and but but two yeah. opportunities. I had opportunities that were presented to me uh, early on in my in my coaching career, and and uh, and I feel like those were really fundamental in developing that background and that skill. Um, but I, I've always said this, that I feel like I've always learned more from my athletes than they've ever learned from me. And so, so even now, I've been doing this for many, many years, um, I'm still learning from them. And, and, it, and that's what helps keep it fresh and helps keep it new. Uh, and, you know, I've had so many athletes like David who were students of the sport. And they would spend time, Sean Enos, another one, spend time just studying what they were doing. We would talk about certain concepts, and they would study it, and they would figure it out. And, and, and they would come back, and they would teach me things, you know, from that experience. How cool has it been for you to see 
what David's done since he graduated from Bates. I mean, he got to go to the Olympic trials, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's one of the best shot putters in the world. I mean, you just can't hide that, and uh, and it's it is exciting. I mean, the potential was all there. I mean, he came in as a pretty good shot putter out of high school. He left Bates as a as a tremendous collegiate thrower, and you know, one of the up and coming young throwers in the United States of America. He stayed committed to it. And he's he's really taken those next steps. He's now thrown over sixty seven feet in the shot put. Um, you know, he's he's. Uh, He's uh, qualified for the finals of the Olympic trials. I know right now his sights are set on maybe trying to uh, make the world indoor championship team, uh, which will be coming up in a few weeks, and, and uh, hopefully uh, he'll be in a position to take a run at that. There are some other alums back competing. Also, Patrick Griffin, who was, of course, a great 800-meter runner who graduated last spring, but he was back and competing in a different event, right? Yeah, he was. He joined his uh, teammate uh, Eric Wayman, who was a uh, um, you know our all-time greatest multi-eventer. He was an All-American in the heptathlon and decathlon. Finished third in the country in both. Uh, and Eric came back and did the high jump and long jump. And then Patrick joined him in the high jump. And in fact, they tied. As it turned out, they jumped. They both jumped very well, and they tied in the high jump. <laughs> nice. Now, was this one of the more fun meets you've ever been a part of? Because it seems like there was a lot of fun for everybody because of all the alums back. It, it really was. And actually told my wife the night before that this was probably one of those meets that I'm going to remember, you know, um, you know after I get done coaching because just the uh, fellowship that was there, uh, everybody coming back, David was a big draw, of course, but everybody coming back to just support it. John Wisner had come back up, uh, our school record holder in the vault from New Jersey, and Catherine Wick, his, his girlfriend, former Bates vaulter as well, they came up and they were watching our vaulters, and it was just, there was energy all over the, all over the facility, of course, with Enos and Margitza and Rich McNeil and Chris Murtag and, and, and so many of the great throwers back. David Hardison, an All-American in decathlon, was back planning to compete, but he ended up tweaking his hamstring the week before, so he had, he had to sit out. Gotcha. And then how about the current athletes? Uh, obviously, Bates had the top-scoring team among the Division three schools at, at the meet. Who's really stood out to you so far? It's a young season. Uh, it, we've got a really good team. Um, we're going to run up against some really good competition in the next few weeks. So, so um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. But I've seen tremendous development in our hurdlers right now. I think they're really kind of taking a nice step up. Vaulters are looking fantastic. Uh, Garrett Anderson went 14-11. David Dick had a lifetime PR of uh, 13-6, and he's about ready to go 14-6 and a heartbeat. Uh, so uh, those guys have been doing really well, seen really good development in the weight. D-Ray's doing his thing over 18 meters and and, uh, and kind of progressing a little bit week by week. But we've seen great development out of Zach Campbell and, and Tyler Harrington, who are now both over 50 feet in that event as well. That's going to give us a, a, a foursome there. Our distance runners are running very well right now. I mean, the uh, combination of uh, um, Zach Megan and... Um, Henry Colt and, and Stephen Rowe and, and uh, uh, Ben Tonelli, uh, Justin Levine, all really running very, very well. They'll run at BU this weekend. We should see some nice times out of them. Uh, so that's been nice. Rob Flynn's been doing a great job all year long as our captain, one of our leaders, and will be a huge part of everything we get done. So we've been seeing really good development taking place. Jack Kiley's rolling into shape and expect to see you know some good times and performances. He already beat um, and, you know, a great runner from MIT early in the season, head-to-head. -head. Uh, so we're seeing really some good things. Now we've got to bring it all together. We Hopefully uh, you know, some of those the preparation that we've done are going to lead to some really strong performances in the weeks to come. I think there's a tremendous energy in this team. Uh, there's a lot of youth, a lot of energy coming from them, uh, and I think there's a commitment from the entire team to really challenge themselves. So it should be fun.
I know last year, obviously, the men's team, obviously, D-Ray qualified for nationals, and the DMR team qualified for nationals. Obviously, uh, Pat's graduated, but Jack and, and Mike and Rob are all back. What's the DMR shaping look like? Uh, it's looking good. We're going to give it a run this weekend at BU. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, we were in really fast and, and uh, ran one of the fastest yeah. times in the in the history of Division III. Um, I, this year, I think we should be every bit as strong. Um, you know, this is a little bit earlier in the year than we ran last year, so I'm not expecting that type of time, but I suspect we'll see a good effort. Um, you know, we've got a little bit of depth in there. We'll be running Mark Fusco in that in that event this weekend and Ryan Corley. Um, so both, uh, both of those guys will be kind of a, a newer experience. Mark has run a couple of them, but uh, this will be Ryan's first. Uh, Mike is a little sick right now, so we're trying to get him healthy, uh, but definitely with Rob and with, with Jack, we've got two key legs that are going to put us in position to be able to run pretty well. Terrific. And just any other thoughts you want to share about the Bates Invitational and what, what stood out about it? Well, it was, it was, it's, it's always great to have, um, you know, in that meet we bring in uh, Umaine and Bryant and the Division One teams. It's really great to have that competition. I was really pleased to watch how our athletes competed against theirs. I mean, there wasn't any differentiation between, oh, this is a Division One guy and this is Division Three guys. We just competed against everybody. And, and, I, and I challenged the team that that was what we needed to do because as we go into the weeks ahead, we're going to have some great competition with, with Bowden in Southern Maine, uh, MIT, Williams, Tufts, all of those schools, strong programs, um, and and we're going to have to be prepared to compete with anybody that they put on the line, and, and I think they get some good experience doing that. The men's basketball team won a thriller at Tufts on Saturday by a final score of 77-75. to Sophomore Nick Gilpin gave the Bobcats the lead for good with 13 seconds left in regulation on an acrobatic layup in the lane. Sophomore Jeff Spellman paced the Bobcats with 18 points, and Bates moves to 9-9 on the year and 2-3 in NASCAC play. Head coach John Furbush looks back on the Bobcats' second straight victory over the Jumbos. Joined on the phone by the head coach of the Bates men's basketball team, John Furbush, talking about a very nice win at Tufts, 77-75 over the weekend. And coach, first of all, I know the Jumbo is always a tough team, especially when you go on the road. What really clicked for you guys in general, you thought, in that game? Well, I, I think we had a great game plan for these guys. We knew they were very skilled, um, one through five, and we were just trying to make their shots as difficult as possible. So even though uh, their best player had, you know, 20-plus points, you know, we, we held them to one three-point make, um, and they've been consistently making – 10-plus each game, so I thought our defensive plan was great, um, and we really took advantage of some of the mismatches we saw when they matched up with us and just tried to exploit that early and often. Yeah, you held them to one of 17 from three-point range. What kind of defense was able to do that? <laughs> well, we yeah, a lot of it was uh, we weren't, you know, they, they drive the ball so well uh, into the paint, and we didn't overreact to triple penetration. A lot of times they purposely drive it to try to get uh, full help from a, from a defender off the ball, and they just kick out three all day. And, and so we, we did a really good job of giving fake help and stunning off the ball uh, and then closing out long, and, and uh, that just limited their, their open attempts. And, um, you know, you, you're going to have to make contested threes if we're playing defense like that. You guys have been in so many close games this year. Um, this one, it came out on the right end for you. I mean, how much of a confidence boost is that for the guys to see that they can, you can, they can pull out these close ones? That was great. That was great. Uh, I, you know, I really believe that uh, you know, experience is the best teacher, and 
Um, you know, the experience we've gained in you know, 16, 17 games, or 18 games now, uh, we're actually applying that experience to the current season. I think a lot of people are we're looking at, oh, wow, you guys, are, you know, you're in a lot of close games. The future's bright. And, you know, I was t- telling the team that the future's now, and I think that these guys have really done a good job of learning from their experience of losing and winning some close games. And uh, so we weren't panicked at all in that situation. Um, and, and so anyway, I think that really helped us, you know, get the W at Tufts. Well, speaking of the future being now, first year James Mortimer worked his way there in the starting lineup the last few games. What are you seeing from him in his first collegiate season so far? He's been great. Uh, you know, I knew, you know, he was our, our sort of high-profile recruit coming into this class, and I, I knew he had the talent. He's got a really high basketball IQ. You know, early on in the season, I was just, you know, we were kind of on him like, we know you can work harder than you are. We know you can give us a little bit more. Uh, he's been really responsive to the, to the coaching that we've given to him, and you know, it's just a matter of time. We knew he was going to get into that starting lineup uh, because he's one of those guys that is a difficult mismatch because he can defend bigger. Uh, he knows how to play down low defensively, um, but he, he can really stretch the floor on offense. Uh, and he's one of those guys that, as I've watched him play, he does not look like a freshman when he's out there. Um, and, and so I think he's somebody that is a very important piece of what we're trying to do this season. And then Tom Coyne, spark off the bench, four of five from three. He had 12 points. It seems like he's adapted well to being that guy who comes in for some instant offense, right? Yeah, he's embraced this role incredibly well. Uh, you know, and I know it's sometimes hard to, to move out of a starting role, but uh, we had a really good conversation when we decided to go this route. Uh, he's had some excellent practices you know, I feel like it's it's important for us to have some juice off the bench, and that's what, what Thomas brings is if he's getting guarded by, you know, their fourth or fifth best defender as they come off the bench, we really like that matchup. Um, and not that he can't do that in the starting lineup, but I think now we have sort of a unique substitution pattern where, you know, in some ways we get better on offense as we sub in. And, and so he's uh, – and he made some big plays at Tufts. You know, we ran a couple quick hitters down the stretch – we got him, you know, and he doesn't need much separation to get it off, but he got some really clean looks that he just buried uh, in big moments for us on Saturday. Well, speaking of coming up big in big moments, uh, Nick Gilpin, you know, the stat line, four points, <laughs> three rebounds, two assists. He had a steal, but those four points came when you needed them the most, including the game-winning layup. Uh, take us through that final play there. Well, we knew, we knew Nick, um, and, and you've seen this too, Aaron, he's somebody that, the value of what he brings doesn't always go in the stat sheet, but uh, he certainly played huge when we really needed him and, and had four points, I think, in the last minute and a half. Um, and, and we knew with the lineup that we had out there, they were, they were putting their worst defender or you know, one of their bigger guards on Nick, assuming that he was not going to be somebody that was going to have the ball in his hands and just kind of space, space the floor. So we, you know, we uh, decided to get him in a little bit of a ball screen two-man ISO game um, and as he was driving, he made, he made a great read in the, in the play before he scored where he, he threw a, a pass to Tom Coyne who lifted out of the corner. And so they just completely shut off everything else. So Nick got going downhill and you know, made, made a play at the rim. It was uh, maybe not the way I would have liked him to leave his feet and have his back to the basket. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're in a results-oriented business, so we'll take it. Yeah, that layup looked like something out of the Jeff Spellman playbook a little bit, right? I mean, he had a game-high 18 did Spellman, I mean, including 14 
uh, I should say a team high 18, including 14 in the first half. Um, he's a guy who logs a lot of minutes. Uh, are you trying to find ways maybe to rely less on him, or is he a guy who, who you're confident is can play, you know, 34 to 40 minutes a game? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. I, the, I, <laughs> we, we play the guys that we really trust the most. I really trust Jeff, and I, and I think yeah. that he's uh, – we we certainly want to be aware of his minutes, especially when we have the back-to-back weekends. But I knew with just a single game, we could we could ride him a little bit more uh, at Tufts. But he's somebody that he is a constant threat, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. So a lot of times we can hide him in the corner. He can rest on a few possessions on offense, and, and we're playing four and four with some great spacing. Um, but you know he's somebody that he's he's a tough, tough matchup because he's got a great in-between game. He's starting to shoot the three at a high clip, and, and around the basket, obviously, he's excellent. Um, you know, what we try to do now is just get him some easier buckets, and, you know, a lot of the, the points that he's had recently have been, you know, skill shots, and, and we want to make sure that we get him some easier looks out of, the, of our flow offense, which I think we'll hopefully get in place for this weekend uh, with Wesleyan and Con College. Hey, you brought it up. This weekend, the road trip through the NESCAC continues with your uh, fourth and fifth consecutive road games in conference play at Wesleyan, 7 o'clock on Friday at Con College, 3 o'clock on Saturday. What are these two teams bringing to the table? What challenges do they present? Well, certainly, you know, Wesleyan being the first game, that, that's going to be our primary focus, um, you know, until Saturday. But, you know, they're, they're, there's a reason they're a top 20 team in the country. You know, they're uh, if not the best, one of the best defenses in Division Three, um, and they have incredible length. I think their smallest listed player on the roster, six foot three, uh, so they have some significant size advantages over us. Uh, and so, kind of an interesting matchup to see a, a really good defense against an offense. I think we're starting to have, you know, clicked a little bit the last few games. So um, I think that'll be a, a tough, tough road game uh, at Wesleyan and. Um, you know, they, they played uh, last night and tomorrow, so they have a, a pretty busy week, four games, and I think in six days, hopefully an advantage for us. Right. Uh, and then Connecticut College, I, I don't, their record is not indicative of how good they are. I think that they, they're they a young team. They have great size. They run uh, difficult offense, so they're tough to guard. And I'm sure they'll be extremely desperate uh, to play us on Saturday, depending on how their game against Tufts on Friday goes. But that's a game that, we really need to get up for because, you know, as college athletes, sometimes you just look at the record and assume, right. oh, we're going to win today. And that is not the case with them. And, you know, they came into our house last year and beat us. So we're going to have a lot of juice for, for both games this weekend in Connecticut. All right, John Frobush, thanks so much for the update on the Bates men's basketball team. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Now it's time to talk to our Bobcats of the week. Men's Nordic Skiing senior captain Parker McDonald turned in the best performance of his career with a sixth-place finish out of 97 collegiate racers in the men's 10-kilometer classical technique race Saturday at the St. Michael's Carnival. He also led the Bobcats with a 17th-place finish out of 86 men the very next day in the 15K freestyle race. For his performances, Parker McDonald is our male Bobcat of the week. There was actually a lack of snow, so the first day, the classic day, was a two and a half k loop so it was a shortened course and the skate day they got were able to use the whole 5k loop and set tracks and for you the classical technique not normally your favorite event but you had a, your best finish ever so what, what was so great for that event for, well, that must be pretty encouraging right it was very encouraging yeah. so it was actually a 
it was a weird race in the sense that it was pretty flat. So some people were deciding to go on skate skis for the classic race and just double pull, and others were deciding to go on classic skis and have the sticky wax on the bottom. And I actually decided to double pull, and okay. so it paid off in the end. Gotcha. So for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the different strategies you could employ, what did that do for you? For double pulling, so I didn't have any wax on the bottom of my skis, so I couldn't run up the hills as quick as people that did have wax on the bottom. So I was only using my upper body and my arms to get over the hills. But in return, I don't have the same friction on the bottom going down the hill, so it's more free glide down the hill. So I made up some time on the downhill, even though I gave up some on the ups. Interesting. So you maybe you took a little bit of what you normally do in freestyle and applied it to classical? Somewhat. Yeah. Um, you can't use your legs as much. Right. You just have to use your arms. Yeah. Um, but it just the skis are faster. Skate skis are known to be faster without the wax on the bottom. So I think that paid off. Great. Pretty long trip out there, right? How long is that ride? It was a long <laughs> trip. Uh, it was, I think it was like four and a half hours to get there driving there and back. Um, so yeah, but Vermont's a super cool place and we get to go there a couple times this year. And you guys load up in the vans, right? Yep. We yeah. have a ski vans and a ski trailer. So what's that uh, bonding experience like or do you guys typically try to get some rest? <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time in yeah. the van, uh, but... Usually I'm driving, so not too much rest for me. Uh, but everyone else usually passes out, gets some good time to catch up on rest and homework too. Wow, so you're driving the van. Is that because you're a senior captain? Or is that one of your responsibilities? <laughs> it, yeah, I'm also one of the few on the team that's van certified. <laughs> so I have been driving since sophomore year. Have there been any particularly challenging trips? Because I know you guys obviously compete in the winter, and there could be some dicey weather. Right? Definitely. There there definitely been some dicey trips, but the weather was pretty good this weekend, so we lucked out on the long drive. Great, and the team as a whole, very good showing, right? Who's some guys who have stood out to you this year? So, yeah, the team's looking good across the board. It's really, it's a great team, great atmosphere on the team. Um, obviously, Graham last week had a good race. It was really good to see him. Um, and some freshmen. We're a super young team. A lot of freshmen are improving throughout the year, so that's super cool to see. Now, you're originally from Colorado, so how did you end up coming out here to ski for Bates? That's a funny question. There was actually a... In the valley I'm from, there's a lot of Bates alumni that have come to, or that grew up in Vail and came to Bates, and I was just, it's a big part of the Nordic ski culture in Vail, um, and I guess I just followed in their footsteps. Yeah, Vail's known as like a tourist destination a little bit. What was it like growing up there as a local? It is, so <laughs> <laughs> it is very much a tourist destination, so uh, it's funny because it's always on, like during the winter everyone's just coming and going so traffic's not too, too great um but the local community is pretty close-knit and so we stick together through <laughs> all the tourist season in the summer too how have you seen yourself develop as a nordic skier over your you know three plus years now at Bates? um i think the development of my nordic skiing has been improving just due to the coaches and the atmosphere here at Bates. uh the team is an unreal atmosphere and it's so fun to be a part of and the coaching from Becky and James is just top class. So it's kind of, it's an easy spot to <laughs> do well in. Yeah, maybe what are some lessons you've learned from Becky or James throughout your time here? Becky and James, I think the biggest lesson I've learned from them is just working hard and getting out there and pushing yourself every day. Maine's a little difference in the sense that weather is always a little edgy, so especially in like the late fall when there's a lot of rain. So to keep pushing through all those tough times. 
And yeah, you guys had an event postponed previously at the Colby Carnival, right? Both the Alpine Indoor teams had one of their <laughs> events postponed. Any plans on that makeup there? So we actually had one of the, we had the makeup at this past week in the classic race on Saturday was the makeup. Oh, okay. So uh, we were originally supposed to do a team relay, but they decided to cancel the team relay and make up the classic race that we missed up in Colby. And what are some goals that you've set this year for your senior season and what you'd like to see from the team in general? So for the team goals, we, we've we always been competitive against Kobe and Bolden, the main schools, so we're always trying to be up there and competing with those guys as best we can. Um, and personal goals is I just wanted to come into the season, my last season, my last go-around, and give it everything I got, really. And it seems to be working well, so keep going with that. All right, Parker McDonald, our male Bobcat of the Week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Sophomore Kalen Woods also turned in a career best performance over the weekend, placing eighth out of 80 collegiate Nordic skiers in the women's 10K freestyle race Sunday at the St. Michael's Carnival. She also paced the Bobcat women on Saturday with a 22nd place finish in the 5K classical technique race. And for those two excellent races, Kaylin Woods is our female Bobcat of the week. I was really focusing kind of on just skiing well and strong. Um, I got a really good ride um, on my first lap with one of my close friends um, from the Middlebury team. And we kind of worked together on that first lap, um, getting through the course. And then on the second lap, I was just trying to go out there and kind of leave it all out there. Um, I really wanted to focus on that and I was getting some good splits um, towards the end so I just kind of wanted to push hard and uh, try and finish strong. Now you, you told me that freestyle is not normally your favorite event. Why do you prefer classical technique? I feel like I've always been kind of a stronger classic skier. Um, I like it a lot. It's really fun um, but I don't know maybe that's changing. We, all, we haven't re- had a really... We haven't had a real classic race um, yet this year, so I'm excited to see how a, a classic yeah. race ends up. You did have the classic race there at St. Michael's. I understand to make up for the one you missed um, at Colby, uh, and you say it wasn't necessarily a real class. What do you mean by that? Um, so <laughs> it was a really flat course, um, and when you get in situations like that, um, sometimes people uh, double pull, which means you're not using any classic I mean, you're using classic technique which is the double pole but you're not striding at all mm-hmm. um and so that posed a a bit of a kind of conflict in some for some people i mean was would you do just double pole or do you try and classic so um and for me i don't feel as though i'm like a strong double polar so it was hard to kind of get into that mindset of like okay I need to go race 5k just double pulling so um I'm excited to actually have a good uh classic race um in the next few weeks just getting some striding (laughs) under my belt now normally we ask people here on the Bobcast what attracted them to Bates obviously your mom's the head coach of the team was that a positive or a negative when you were considering colleges um (laughs) well so I was very uh not anti-Bates, but I have grown up um, in the Bates community and skiing and the ski team. So I def- I mean, I, I considered Bates, but it wasn't my first choice, per se. But uh, after doing the whole college application uh, thing, I, I narrowed my choices down. And, and Bates was, Bates was the, the best, the favorite. 
Um, I'm really happy with my choice and, and having my mom around and my coach is just like an added bonus. When you're going through the application process and the selection process, how much input did she have at all? I mean, were you, did she mention, I mean, you probably knew everything Bates had to offer <laughs> already, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> she was involved, not so much in, for my applying to Bates, for a lot of the other college she was involved and had a say in, you know, like each and every, each school, but she kind of let, gave, let Bates be up to me and stuff like that because I mean she she knows that I know the um, the community and everything like that so what's the dynamic like mean so far obviously it's your sophomore year now um, um, on the team and everything it's it's fun it's yeah. really fun um, I I didn't know quite what to expect but at the same time I did I mean she's kind of been my coach and mentor like my whole life um I've had other coaches in the past but she's always since she is a coach and I live with her and everything like that she's always kind of um the biggest coach in my life so um it's great and it's also awesome to have James our assistant coach who I've worked with in the summers because he's also in the southern Maine area so it's really nice to just have a strong bond with your coaches um it's really nice how does the carnival circuit compare to what you did when you were in high school in terms of competition? Um, it's much more competitive. Um, the carnival circuit has a lot. There's a lot more depth, too. But um, in high school, I was racing um, for my high school team. And then I was also racing for Maine Winter Sports Center, which is a club based out of... It's now actually Outdoor Sports Institute, but it's was based mainly out of northern Maine, so I still did a lot of stuff on my own um, in high school, but I raced Eastern Cups, which is, there's four Eastern Cup series uh, throughout the winter, and that kind of qualifies you for the Junior Nationals and stuff like that, so. Tell me about the rest of the women's Nordic team. What have you seen from your teammates so far? Um, the team's awesome. They're, we have a small team this year, so we're kind of just adjusting to that, and it's been great. The dynamic is awesome. Everyone's in really good spirits all the time. It's it's a good atmosphere to be around. A couple of key seniors there, I know, Sadie and Laurel graduated. So yeah. uh, what's, uh, what's maybe some differences we've noticed so far? Um, I mean, there's definitely been a difference seeing that we don't have a, any – we don't have a senior presence at all. There's no seniors on the team. So, I mean, that definitely changes the dynamic of the team. But I think that as there's three returners this year, and I think we've all worked well together just to kind of keep the freshmen engaged and involved and, you know, liking the sport. So it's great. The fre Our freshmen are awesome. And then we talk about, you know, there's women's Nordic, but there's also obviously men's Nordic, and it's really all one team, sort of, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear it at – on our team, the Bates team at least, we're so close. We do everything together. Um, I mean, since Becky is our our coach, we only have one coach for both the men's and women's teams. We're doing a lot of things together. We're training camps together. We're eating dinners together at, at carnivals. Um, we spend a lot of time with each other, which I love. It's great. Um, I know that there's some other schools that the other the men's and the women's teams are kind of separated but i i love the close-knit uh teams that we, the team that we have you mentioned during the freestyle race that you were working with uh one of your friends from middlebury how does that dynamic work when you're trying to get through a course um it's really nice to be skiing with someone i mean either from your from Bates, you know or from another team that you're 
uh, person you're close with. Um, I mean, we just kind of worked together throughout the course. There was a few hills uh, throughout the course that, I mean, I know she's a really she's a really strong skier, like on the downhills and on the the flatter sections, and and sometimes like uh, I can get her on the uphills. So you know, I would pull her along on the uphills, and then on the down, she'd kind of she kind of drag me along with her, and it was just nice to go back and forth with her and be able to recover a bit behind her and then work a little harder in front of her and and pull each other through the through the lap zone and into the finish great so any other thoughts on maybe some of the goals you've set for yourself this year what the team's looking to accomplish uh we we set a lot of goals at the beginning of the year uh as a team and as also a women's team um we knew that coming into this season we were we were not as strong as we were last year but we still wanted to to have some goals i mean we we wanted to do well in carnivals. We wanted to be like top eight or and stuff. Um, we wanted as a combined men's and Nordic team. We wanted to be top seven carnivals. For for me personally, I, I really wanted that that top ten. I was mm-hmm. that was kind of one of my bigger goals for the season. Um, last year, I, I didn't really really touch the top fifteen much. So t- getting in the top ten was was really positive and a good good start to the season. The Bates Alpine skiing teams had day one of the Colby Carnival postponed due to high winds, but they did compete in the giant slalom on Sunday, with the women taking fifth place out of 13 schools, led by first-year Hannah West, who finished ninth, and senior captain Sierra Ryder, who turned in a career-best 13th place finish in the GS. Meanwhile, the men finished 10th out of 13 schools, led by first-year Calvin Wilson, who came in 33rd out of 71 collegiate skiers. We will have plenty more Alpine skiing coverage next week, including a big announcement. Other teams in action last week included the men's and women's swimming programs, which dropped a dual meet at Bowdoin, but bounced back to sweep Colby the very next day at Tarbell Pool, setting five pool records along the way. Meanwhile, the squash teams geared up for a big weekend this week with a pair of wins over Wesleyan on Wednesday of last week. The women won 7-2 while the men won 8-1. Finally, the women's basketball team defeated Maine Farmington 62-44 on the road Tuesday before falling to number 8 nationally ranked Tufts at home on Saturday. A couple of men's lacrosse notes before we go. Kyle Weber was selected by the Chesapeake Bayhawks in the Major League Lacrosse Supplemental Draft last week joining classmate Charlie Fay as MLL draftees from Bates' class of 2017. Fay was picked in last May's college draft by the Boston Cannons. And the USILA preseason poll was released today, with the Bobcats ranked 11th in the country. This weekend is another busy one for Bates winter sports, and we will recap it all next time on the Bates Bobcast. Bates, Bates, my brother, my brother.